folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Travel and Trivia, a podcast for the curious traveler eager to embark on their next adventure. So, I've gotten some listener feedback, and I'm told last week's episode may have been the toughest yet. Difficulty is of course relative, since we have no way of knowing what you do or don't know until we ask it. However, in an effort to increase your odds and level the playing field, we have added a number of multiple-choice questions to this week's round. Shenandoah National Park, nearly 200,000 acres of pristine wilderness, can be found less than 80 miles from Washington, D.C. Upon visiting the park, we coined it the Little Smokies, as it offered up familiar, albeit slightly less grand, Appalachian views. On today's episode, Chloe and I will be exploring the park's storied past, topography, wildlife, and much more. The round will consist of 10 questions varying in difficulty level and one bonus question. Stick around for the 7th question stretch for our top Shenandoah hike recommendations and the abridged version of our recent road trip. A reminder, there will be just over 30 seconds to answer each question, so if you're impatient like me, feel free to skip ahead. Find out how well Chloe knows Shenandoah at the end of this week's episode. Virginia might be for lovers, but this podcast is for trivia. Let's begin. Question 1. In an effort to familiarize ourselves with the region as a whole, the Appalachian Mountain Range consists of several parallel physiographic provinces. These include the Appalachian Plateau, Valley and Ridge, Blue Ridge Mountains, and Piedmont. Of these provinces, which one is home to Shenandoah National Park? is the Blue Ridge Mountains. Stretching from Georgia to Pennsylvania, this ancient mountain chain is not only home to Shenandoah National Park. This incredibly diverse region also encompasses the Great Smoky Mountains, as well as the highest peak in the eastern United States, Mount Mitchell, at an elevation of 6,684 feet. Question 2. If you visit the park today, you'll likely take for granted the ease at which you can drive from one end to the other on a well-maintained paved roadway. Along the way, you'll likely stop at several scenic overlooks and hike many trails. What depression-era work relief program is responsible for initially building much of the park's infrastructure? And the answer is the Civilian Conservation Corps, or the CCC. This work relief program was created by FDR during the Great Depression. At its peak, 
12 CCC camps in nine different locations existed around Shenandoah with the goal of providing employment to families in need. In the nine years that the CCC existed in Shenandoah, they tallied up the following impressive infrastructure accomplishments. 28 sewage systems, 136 miles of phone lines, 1,145 miles of fire trails, 101 miles of trails, 4,001 signs and markers, 147,595 trees and shrubs planted, and 361 acres of land seeded. Question 3. The following question is multiple choice. During the height of racial injustice and segregation, what park facility was created exclusively for African American visitors? Is it A. Dickey Ridge, B. Skyland, C. Lewis Mountain, or D. Big Meadows? And the answer is C. Lewis Mountain. National parks were certainly no exception to segregation and racial profiling during the mid-1900s. Rather than dwelling on the heinous acts and opinions of those in power at the park, I will attempt to focus on the positive. Shenandoah National Park was at the forefront of the civil rights movement. The park's facilities became fully integrated by the summer of 1950 more than a decade before elsewhere in the Commonwealth and throughout the U.S. Question 4. What common camping activity is strictly prohibited while camping in Shenandoah's backcountry? And the answer is the use of campfires. Poorly managed campfires have resulted in thousands of acres of wildfires in Shenandoah. To combat this, the park has made a decision to limit fires only to park-constructed fireplaces at various huts and day-use shelters throughout the park. If you embark on a backpacking trip and wish to cook meals, backpacking and twig-burning stoves are permitted. Question 5. While Shenandoah National Park is home to 93 named peaks, one mountain towers over the rest, relatively speaking. What is the name of Shenandoah National Park's highest peak? And the answer is Hawksbill Mountain.
at an elevation of 4,050 feet above sea level. During our trip, we summited Hawksbill in the early morning in hopes of catching a beautiful sunrise. The panoramic views from the park's tallest peak did not disappoint. If you are interested in finding out more about various summit hikes available, check Question 5's references linked in the show notes. Question 6. What famous National Scenic Trail winds its way 104 miles over the length of Shenandoah National Park? And the answer is the Appalachian Trail. You'll find many concrete pillars and white paint blazes throughout the park signifying this special route. Snaking its way along a narrow corridor from Springer Mountain in Georgia to Mount Katahdin in Maine, this 2,190-mile trail is one of the most popular through hiking destinations in the United States. Welcome to... The Seventh Question Stretch. Deleted! You almost deleted that, <laughs> and you're the one that screwed up. Weird how that works. As previously mentioned in the pod, we had the pleasure of spending two and a half days at Shenandoah National Park this August. While we were there, we spent a lot of time exploring the park, and whether you like it or not, we're going to give out our top recommendations. Woo! So, Chloe, in an attempt to make this more organic, I think we just kind of start at the beginning and roll through to the end. It's only two and a half days. It should go pretty quick. Right. We ended up... (laughs) I was just blindsided with these things. (laughs) So horrible. Anyway, we decided to drive through the night so we can make it to Shenandoah on our first day right at sunrise, which was horrible driving through the night, but it was so worth it when we showed up to the park. Was it horrible driving at night, says the person who was sleeping? Yes. I drove like the last four hours. It cannot be confirmed or denied. Anyway, regardless, even though I'm right, we made it to Shenandoah right at an overlook as the sun was rising, and it was probably one of the coolest sunrises I've ever seen. That was the tunnel overlook, I do believe. It's kind of... uh, it's. Situated between the North District and then the Central District of Shenandoah. After catching that sunrise, we headed up to the North section of the park and got our obligatory photo next to the Shenandoah National Park sign, because if you don't do that, did you even go? Right, and we were also a little bit hungry, so we went into the town right there. Was it Front Royal? Front Royal. Front Royal. We found this cute little bakery and... Got lots of snacks (laughs) before our hike. And then after that, we headed over to the visitor center to get our cancellation stamp and get our sticker. After all of that driving, we were in much need of a good hike and some time in nature. So we looked for a hike that was in that north region of the park. That was also dog friendly because we brought our two little labs on our trip. So we decided to hike Compton Peak. The thing that's cool about this hike is you actually get to hike on the Appalachian Trail for a while, and then it splits off to the actual locations for Compton Peak. 
Yeah, so there was a west overlook, some scenic views. Um, the elevations in that part of the park aren't quite as high, but you're still up quite a bit higher than the relative area, so it is pretty cool. And then when you cross the way, there's the Clumnar joining, which is a very rare site in the United States. Geology. <laughs> Basically, it occurs uh, when lava or magma cools, the rock cracks, and then these joints form, and they look very unnatural in nature. They're straight lines and they're perfect like hexagons or octagons or some type of agon with some sides. Yeah, it's just a big tall wall that looks really cool. It basically. does look cool. Would recommend checking it out if you do the Compton Peak hike. It does get a little bit steep towards the end though, so just be careful. After the hike, it was time to set up camp. We decided to stay at Big Meadows Campground, which is right around mile point 51, and that puts you right in the middle of the park. So we thought that would be a great spot to serve as our base camp for the rest of our adventures. Once that was set up and we made lunch, we apparently wanted to get back in the car, so we ended up driving the rest of the way on the southern part of the park. One of the best things to do at Shenandoah, other than a lot of the hikes that are available, is to just drive that entire scenic drive. It's uh, over 100 miles total. It usually takes between three hours and four hours, depending on how many overlook you decide to stop at or hikes you do along the way. But it was definitely something well worth doing. Uh, once we made it back to camp, we've talked about all the different overlooks around the park. It's very easy to catch a sunrise or sunset based off of obviously where you're at in the park. Uh, so we got a pretty nice sunset that night too at an overlook that wasn't too far from the campground. We did. Everything's very accessible there, which I much appreciated. However, Chloe did skip over one brief part. I took an extremely cold $2.50 shower. And granted, uh, Big Meadows Campground, they were getting some infrastructure work done. So maybe that had something to do with it. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But for my $2.50, I expected warmth. So that wraps up day one while we were there. So day two, we had an ambitious schedule ahead of us. We did. We'll run through it real quick. 3.30 a.m., wake up, wake up the Bubba's, do everything you need to do around camp. Then it was going to Hawksbill Summit via the Appalachian Trail, which was going to end up being an 8.8-mile loop. And if we made it in time, we would catch sunrise perfectly as it came up over the horizon. A lot of things had to go right, and it was incredibly dark. Chloe, how'd they go? Yeah, hiking four miles in the pitch black was a little bit sketch, but it was well worth it. We did end up making it to sunrise right as it was starting. So that was really cool to take a break at the summit and we had it to ourselves. So that was also nice. And one other point I would like to make about doing a hike like this where it was going to be out and back, which I just don't like out and back hikes. I feel like you see the same thing twice. If you do half of it in the dark on the way back, everything's new. So there you go. That's true. And we did have headlamps, so it wasn't pitch black. But if you looked around with your headlamp and saw eyes, I always got a little bit freaked out. So I tried to just focus on the trail. That's a good, good something quick to bring up. There is a heck of a lot of wildlife at Shenandoah, and they do a really good job of educating about the various wildlife that's in the park, whether that's deer or bears. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on what way you look at it, we did not see any bears on our trip. But a lot of deer, especially just hanging out by the road. Some nice bucks, some like very nice bucks. We made it back to camp around, I think, nine o'clock. So we did a lot in the day. I, we decided to kind of just explore the area around Shenandoah. So we ended up going to Charlottesville, Virginia. 
Seaville. <laughs> that's about an hour and eh, 15 minutes from where we were staying. We went there because we had found out that Charlottesville was the home of one very famous president. The one and only Thomas Jefferson. And I think uh, James Madison. Uh, you can go to his house too if you want, but I don't really know. We didn't. Anyway, so we get to this place and I will say it has one of the nicest looking visitor centers that I've ever seen. I mean, it looks like something out of, there was like a, it looked like a Japanese garden. I mean, the doors were heavy, you know, like just quality type stuff. And I'm like, wow, they really, you know, they've done something here and it's, it's impressive. And so we go through, get kind of, um, go through the security check-in. Obviously you can't have anything. And the boys were able to go, they could walk the grounds with us. I hung outside with the boys as Chloe got our tickets to walk the grounds of Thomas Jefferson's home. I was unaware of how much it cost, and I knew once I found out and paid for it, Seth was going to be annoyed with me, but I just let that kind of fester. Let's just state a couple of facts here. TJ, he was on the $2 bill, and you don't see a whole lot of $2 bills these days. A nickel. When's the last time you used a nickel for anything? The dude charges 22 bucks a pop to walk around his grounds. And if we didn't have the dogs, we could have went in his house. But are you kidding me? Okay, I panic ordered. And once he told me the price, I was like in too deep. So I just felt better. I just paid it. <laughs> so I stood there and looked at his grave for a couple extra seconds, but it didn't really make me feel any better. He had this tremendous looking garden that who knows who takes care of now. But I didn't really feel right stealing a tomato either. So I just kind of... Like Chloe said, I festered in my own self-pity, I guess. I don't know. It was a unique walk. We'll never do that again. It was. And I would recommend you never do it more than once either, unless you just really have a thing for dead presidents. or And not the useful dead presidents like the dollar bills. I mean, like the actual dead presidents. <laughs> well, after uh, we finished up there, uh, since we were in a bigger city, we decided to grab lunch. And they have a very cool downtown area. I believe it used to be like a main street. And now it's just closed off and only pedestrians can go through there. And they have a lot of restaurants, stores, a bunch of cool things and like patio seating. So it was just a very cool vibe. Since we were toting around the Bubba's, we opted for the takeout route and got burgers from Citizen Burger Bar, which is on that main street. And let me tell you. They were so good. Were they so good? Or was it just mine good? We were probably hungrier than most people at this point after that big hike that morning and not really having a, a huge breakfast back at the campsite i was in the middle of editing videos from the hike that we had taken and kind of unknowingly just kind of handed chloe a burger and she had ordered a pimento something with pimento cheese on it because she lived in lexington for a while and feels like there's a need to keep that connection and I ordered like a good burger with like garlic aioli, uh, some onions, big pieces of onion. So Chloe's about halfway done with a burger over there before I even open up the package to the one that I had. And I take a bite into this one and it's it's just mustard. That's all I can taste. It's just covered in mustard, which is not bad. I like mustard, but I didn't order a mustard burger. I got like the garlic aioli. It's got some mushrooms on it, some onions, some provolone cheese, I think. And I look over, she's sitting there like a little, like a little chipmunk would hold like a nut or something. And I look over and all I can see is the most massive like medallion of onion coming out of this burger, which her burger did not have that she ordered. I'm like, Hey, I, I think you're eating my burger. She goes, well, you just see a half of that one and then we can switch. 
<laughs> it's on you for handing me that burger. I couldn't remember what I ordered. Not mine. However, Joe, all joking aside, both burgers were unreal, but their fries were really the star of the show. Yes, and we also ate these burgers in the Crumble Cookie parking lot. <laughs> we got some Crumble Cookies, too. It was a good day to eat, so I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so for those that know us, they know that we're pretty high energy, and we're always just go, go, go. We get up early. We go. We stay up late. We get up early the next morning and just go regardless. But we are human, and at some point, that all does catch up to us. So when we got back, maybe it was the sugar stupor that we were both in and some type of food coma. Ourselves and the Bubba's took a good hour and a half nap. Yeah, that was probably the best nap of my life. It was. I've never slept harder. So that took us into kind of the afternoon and we did a little bit more driving around and we ended up catching probably the best sunset of the trip. Yeah, we went to an overlook that wasn't too far from the campground. Um, and so we got to... Enjoy the sunset there with the Bubba's. Are you panicking because I haven't found it yet? I always feel like I feel bad for the people like who are the look upper people on people's podcasts. Oh, what a job. It's got a weird little name. It was like something knobs overlook. There it is. Noel. I was close. Spitler Noel overlook. Great view. It doesn't start with an H. starts with an H, I think. I don't know. I never like to do anything like that because when it doesn't, I feel like. So the last day, which was a little bit of a half day for us because we were going to spend the other half of the day traveling home. We opted for a medium length hike. Uh, The whole thing ended up being about, I think it was about four miles. And this one was a loop. Woo, love loop. And this was going to be to the only waterfall that we would see during the trip, which is Lewis Falls, which is an 81 foot cascading waterfall with one big drop that was also walkable from the campground that we stayed at via the Appalachian Trail and the Lewis Falls Loop Trail. During this loop, I felt like we were going uphill the entire time, but obviously that's not true. So there is a lot of steep areas. So I got pretty winded in some parts of it. Steep and, and pretty rocky. The Lewis Falls Trail loop, it, it's not quite as maintained as the Appalachian Trail. And some of the rocks, you know, it's, it's a bit jagged, especially with the dogs on a pretty short leash. Um, we had to work together quite a bit to make sure everybody was making it down safe. But we got to the falls. We could hear the falls really well, but we were like, where are the falls? Well, you end up on top of the falls and you have to actually cross the small creek and go over to an overlook where then you can see the falls from that view. One thing we did not mention earlier, this trip that we took was during the week. So that's something to consider as well if you're looking to have some of these places more to yourself, if that's something that you prefer. During all of our hiking, even though it was mostly early morning and then into the morning hours, we saw two backpackers total, I think. Wasn't it? One guy last day. And that was close to camp, too. So who knows if he was just going for a little walk or not. But After we made it back to camp, we packed all of our things and hit the road. Uh, we ended up going a different way back because, like Seth mentioned earlier, he hates seeing the same thing more than once. So we headed back home towards Michigan. This route had us go on Interstate 68 through West Virginia, which is just a really beautiful drive and also through Maryland as well. I guess maybe it was our naivety about the whole thing, but when you think about Maryland, I, to me, it's like blue crabs and like coastal stuff, but Maryland's got that little panhandle over there that is, I mean, it's right on par with West Virginia, Virginia. It's, it had a lot going on. There was a really 
incredible looking, more touristy, big lake over there that we passed by that I just did not expect to see. We ended up stopping in Morgantown, West Virginia, uh, and we ended up trying the Permani Brothers subs. They're pretty famous sandwiches. I don't know if they're a sub or a sandwich, but uh, basically it's the biggest cut of meat sandwich you've ever seen. And then they also slap fries and coleslaw on it. I had really high hopes for this one. The one that I got, not that it was bad, it was just almost overpoweringly vinegary, uh, which is something I might just switch up on the menu. But the idea of the fries and everything on the sandwich, I kind of like it. It's a little unique. So I'm a fan. I think I had sausage on mine and I, I think it was like an Italian style sandwich and it was very good. Long story short, we made it back to Michigan. We had a lot of time in the car to reflect on how great of a trip it was, especially a great trip because we got to bring our dogs. And if you have dogs that you want to go hiking with, we highly recommend. Yes, we do. It blew us away for sure. Every expectation I had, and I had even researched it quite a bit before our trip, was blown out of the water. And, and now, back, back to, to the, the trivia. trivia. Night. Question seven. True or false? 40% of Shenandoah National Park has always been a designated wilderness. Answer is false. The wilderness is a relatively new development. During the first decade of the park's history, park managers sought to erase all traces of humans on the mountain and worked to create a park with the natural qualities that met their perception of what nature should be. Question 8. What endangered skin breathing member of the Plathodontidae family is found only in Shenandoah National Park? And the answer is the Shenandoah salamander. As the question suggests, these little guys are lungless. In order for them to successfully respirate, their skin needs to maintain the proper moisture. These rare creatures are also nocturnal, which really diminishes your chances of seeing one. They can be found hiding under rocks or logs during the day and burrow underground during the hottest and coldest months. Research is ongoing to better understand the range and abundance of the Shenandoah salamander. Given that these salamanders are only found at higher elevations within the park, climate change may have a negative impact on the species as a whole. Question 9. What U.S. president owned a rustic and beautiful summer vacation home called a Rapidan Camp in Shenandoah National Park? Was it Franklin Roosevelt, Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, or Dwight D. Eisenhower?
And the answer is Herbert Hoover. The Rapid Ant Camp can still be visited today if you're up for the four-mile hike. Park at the Milan Gap parking area, mile 52.8, and follow the Appalachian Trail for several feet to the Mill Prong Trail. At the second stream crossing, follow the Yellow Blaze Mill Prong Horse Trail down to the camp. Talk about off the beaten path. President Hoover and First Lady Lou Henry no doubt found restful times far removed from the hustle and bustle of their daily life. Question 10. What governmental power did the Commonwealth of Virginia use to buy up over 1,000 parcels of land from 5,000 landowners in order to artificially create Shenandoah National Park? And the answer is eminent domain. I was surprised to learn that the wilds of Shenandoah are anything but. The entire landscape has been rewilded over the last 100 years. The creation of the park resulted in some 465 families being moved from their homesteads and resettled outside its boundaries. I'm curious to know your thoughts. Do you think this was the right thing to do? If you're listening on Spotify, take a second to answer our poll. In the event of a tie, or if you're looking to earn a little bit of extra credit, here's today's bonus question. Shenandoah National Park is known for being pet friendly, but just how pet friendly? What percentage of trails within the park can you and your furry friend hike together? Answer to the nearest whole percent. If you're playing in a group, the closest is the winner. And the answer is an astounding 93%. According to the National Parks website, Shenandoah is home to roughly 516 total miles of hiking trail. Of those 516 miles, approximately 480 are dog friendly. So what are you waiting for? It's time for you and your pet to explore. So how well did Chloe know the place we just visited? Chloe earned a score of 6 out of 10. History was her downfall this week. Alright, that brings us to the end of another episode of Travel and Trivia. I hope you enjoyed testing your knowledge and maybe even pick some up along the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to leave us a review. That would be awesome. If you would like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's episode, check the references linked in the show notes. If you haven't already, give us a follow and share with your traveling friends. Enough of the parks already. If you can relate to this statement, fear not. Next week's episode may be a gamble, but we're willing to take the risk. 
Join us next week as we deal you up a dose of Sin City trivia. Or just book the $58 flight and experience Las Vegas for yourself. It's up to you. As always, we at Travel Down Wander wish you well on your next adventure. You'll only ever regret the trips you don't take.